So Money episode 1496. You've figured out money. Now what? With guest Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grownups. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Thinking about like, what is life after you kind of get past that big bump in middle age where we sort of have all the stuff going on and then it kind of quiets down and you kind of look at your accounts and you go, how'd I do? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're going to talk about something that I don't think we've ever done really for a whole 30 minutes on this show, which is to talk about what do you do when you've sort of like made it? You know, you've arrived in your financial life, you've paid off debt, you've built up your savings, you're investing, you've fully funded your college savings accounts, and you've checked off all the things on your financial to-do list. You're probably in your 40s, maybe your 50s, maybe you have grown kids or you don't, and now you're wondering, all right, now what? You start having these existential questions. It's a good problem to have, don't get me wrong, but it requires some critical thinking and planning. And that's why I'm so happy to have our guest, Bobby Rebel, on the show. Bobby, this is what she does. She's the founder of Financial Wellness Strategies, where she helps people invest in peace of mind. And she's the very famous author of Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. She's appeared everywhere from the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Today Show, CNBC. She's a longtime financial journalist and she talks about how to financial plan, how to think about your money when you feel like you are in this next phase of your financial life. You've achieved the big goals, now what? We talk about succession. We bring in some of the plot lines from succession on HBO. If you're watching, you know, even when you're a billionaire, you can feel not so great. Life isn't perfect. And then we talk about how to pass the torch to our growing kids who are on their way to building their own financial lives, how to equip them with the right mindset around money. How much is too much help? Here's Bobby Rebel. I thought it would be just good to have you back. You've got some updates in your professional life. And um, we were chatting offline about some like rich people problems. And I thought, let's talk about that on So Money, you know, when you've got enough and you're not sure how much more to keep working for when you've built generational wealth for your kids and you're worried they're going to spoil it all. Looking forward to those to those conversations with you. But first, welcome back to the show. And, and, and you have an exciting announcement with your podcast. Tell us. Thank you so much. You know, we did not know this when I picked the calendar date for this recording, but today, the day that we are recording, um, I am rebranding my podcast to Wellness for Financial Grownups in alignment with the consulting business I recently launched called financial wellness strategies. And the whole point is, and and it's probably, I'm going to guess this might be released in April, which is financial literacy month, financial literacy, super important table stakes for everything. But I really want to kind of get to the 2.0 of that, which is financial wellness, which is finding why we're doing all this stuff. What is the point of it? And it's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's my money middle-age crisis that I'm going through where I'm starting to think about, okay, we want to make the money, make the money, make the money, get rid of debt, do all the things, check all the boxes, Farnoosh. 
But then, okay, what's the point? And maybe this is coming because my Mm -hmm. kids are getting older. I have a teenager now. And uh, we're sort of looking at that official empty nest. We're semi-empty nesters now, but as anyone with a teenager knows. But thinking about like, what is life after you kind of get past that big bump in middle age where we sort of have all the stuff going on and then it kind of quiets down and you kind of look at your accounts and you go, how'd I do? Yeah. You know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about Succession and um, do you watch (laughs) Succession on HBO? (laughs) So I am a Succession dropout. I watched the first season and you know, I just felt this, they were just fighting so much. I was yeah. like, can you just well, get along? You have so, you talk about rich people, probably you have so yeah, much. Exactly. You're so mean to each other. Just stop it. But, and this is not a spoiler if anyone is, hasn't watched the first episode <laughs> of the last season, but Logan Roy played by Brian Cox, he mm-hmm. uh, has this sort of existential, they all are going through these like existential problems. Yes. Even rich people start to wonder about the meaning of life. And Logan Roy, who's this, obviously this billionaire, the patriarch owns the company, the conglomerate. He is going through a struggle with his children. They're not talking and it's all bubbling up and he starts to really question. It's like his birthday and he's got you know all the money in the world. And yet... And yet he is not well. Uh, Would you say he's financially well? Right. He does not have financial wellness because at the end of the day, what has the money done other than, again, I've only watched a season and a half, but the general gist is the money tears this family apart. And that's very expensive. So, you know, my tagline for the company is invest in peace of mind. And this family does not have peace of mind, no matter how much money they have. And I, I found it very sad. Now, I do feel with all the media hype, I may reinvest in succession and, and I'm being encouraged by you to maybe get back into it. But I just found it very upsetting that these people have so much and yet have so little. That's fair. And I just, I couldn't, I, mean, I just couldn't You can't watch help it. but look just, at it through that lens because you're oh. Bobby Rebel. But, you know, for the general population, we're more interested, I think, in like the family dynamics. I do think it's so fascinating how they're so wealthy. And this is a, there's actually an article about this. You know, this, the the sets, not the sets, they go into these massive compounds, these homes, these apartments, mm-hmm. luxury, over, to, over, the, over the top. And to them, it's like, just a Tuesday. And I'm like, if I was in this luxury apartment, I'd be like, did you check out the third bathroom on the eighth floor? Oh my God. You know, but it's like nothing to them. And no matter how wealthy you get, you never want to get to the point where it doesn't even matter anymore. Like you're, it's desensitized. Life is desensitized. What's your advice for those of us? And, and, Obviously, we're not talking about the billionaires now, but uh, those of us who we feel like we've arrived in our financial lives, we've cleared off the debts, we've got the retirement plans going, we have achieved some goals like buying a home and saving for college, all of it. We feel like we've arrived, I'm using air quotes, or we're on on the right track. Now what? Now what is your financial life about? You are reading my mind, Farnish. So thank you so much. I mean, this is exactly what I am exploring with this new business because it is. It's exactly so. We ne- we need the security. We need the knowledge. We want to set up the things so that we feel we are secure. Emergency funds. We have the retirement funds. We've gotten control of our debt. And then that is exactly what now? I mean, I became a certified financial planner a few years ago, really to you know get myself in a good place with financial literacy so I could come to people with informed decision. Now I joined the Financial Therapy um, Association. I'm working to become, this is the first time I'm saying this, so now I'm putting it out there. This is one of my things. So I actually do it. 
I'm becoming a certified financial therapist. Let's hope I pass the test. Um, I know. So I haven't said that before. So everybody cheer me on because I do want to be able to have these meaningful discussions with clients and help people come to exactly what you are talking about. After we get the security, after we achieve our goals, after we have the stuff, what's next? I mean, my husband and I have been going through this. We had a big SUV that we had to buy. We never liked it. So I'm not going to name the brand, but it was the classic big black three, you know, you can fit eight people in this and everyone's luggage. We had to have it. We had three little kids. We had the car seats, the whole thing. And now it's time to get a new car. And we had a really, it was tough because we decided to buy a luxury car. We bought more car than we needed. And coming to terms with the fact that we can afford it. We didn't go crazy, crazy, but it was really hard. It's like, well, what does this say about us? Have we become those people? Is it bad that we kind of are excited about our cool new car that we're getting next week? What does that say about our values? Should we be doing something more for charity? Should we be doing more to buffer our retirement savings? So you have these sort of midlife, I can't call it a crisis because it's good. These are good problems to have, but just these sort of reckonings with who you are, what your identity is and how money fits into the mix when you're sort of in the thick of the life. It's money at the intersection of mental health, societal expectations. You use the word should, like, should we do Mm -hmm. this? And yeah, we all go through those calculuses, you know, we're like, you're drawn to doing something, but then something is like, well, I'm going to, I feel guilty about this or what are, what's everyone going to think? How do you reconcile with that? Part of me just says F it, you know, like do what you want to do. If the money is there and it makes you happy, who cares if you're like mimicking Kim Kardashian and all the materialism (laughs) that you see on Bravo TV, like get yourself the handbag, get yourself the, whatever you want. I feel like at, at a certain point, once you have your, your foundation laid and you're doing this not at the expense of, say, retirement or you're paying down debt, then like, do it. I want you to enjoy that car, Bobby. So <laughs> thank you. I'm still coming to terms. We haven't picked it up yet. I'm still coming to terms with it. But it's a yes and a no. Yes. Yes to everything you said you should, because it is okay. You know, you probably have given advice to so many people and it's great advice. You know, focus on your needs versus your wants. At a certain point, you can pivot and focus on your wants because you've taken care of your needs. So that's a really nice place to be in. But you also do want to think to what, to what end am I doing this? Why do I want to have the fancy car? Why do I want to have whatever material thing? Why do I suddenly want to eat out every single night? There are people that do that, which boggles my mind because I think it's very, you know, excessive, but people do that. They enjoy it. They can afford it. So you have to think about what the, you know, what is your goal and then back into it from there. Mm -hmm. You have the money to get there, but is that the right goal? Is the, you know, like you said, you're talking about the Roy family on succession. Let's, we're going to bring everything back to succession on this show. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> what is the point of all these houses? Like why bother? It, se- mm-hmm. it sounds exhausting to go from house to house it and does. be constantly traveling on the, I mean, I got annoyed. They're always getting on the private planes with these entourages and then the cars pull up to get them off the planes. I mean, it's a little exhausting. Maybe they want to just kind of sit and chill by the pool. It's like plastic surgery. You get a little bit of a nip tuck here and then it just becomes a way of life. And I don't think that they would know what to do with themselves if they didn't have all of the things. 
at, at, at a certain point, it's like lifestyle creep. You know, you, you think about when you and I were starting out, right, as 20-somethings in New York, we were content with our tiny apartments and our ramen noodles and our TJ Maxx handbag. But then you make more money and then you start to go for the bigger things. And then you can't even imagine, like right now, if someone said to me, you can never eat out again, which I, you know, I didn't when I first moved to New York, I stayed home and I cooked. I would be very sad. And it's not like I can't do it, but something happened along the way. I got, I adjusted up. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we brand, the other thing that's interesting is how we brand things. So you talked about lifestyle creep, and then you said adjusted up. They're the same thing, but you frame them differently, right? So let's think about that, right? You're telling yourself, yeah. People vilify lifestyle creep. I'm sure you've had many guests on, maybe even I have said this, saying to people, watch out for lifestyle creep. There's a lot of young people that are being laid off now that are very upset because they had lifestyle creep. They thought that they were going to have these high paying jobs that they got right out of school that pay six figures forever. I'm rooting for all of them that if you got laid off to get a new job, um, but lifestyle creep is real and peer group pressure is very real. Um, at the same time, and this is something I have talked about many times, I have real issues with upgrading my lifestyle. I am literally talking publicly about how sick to my stomach I am about this decision we've made. And I know Mm -hmm. rationally, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Even the luxury car we got, it's like, really not that luxury. Like it's not that expensive. It's fine. But like, I can't even get past it. Like we just got nice sheets, Farnoosh. I mean, it's like, you know, moving past the target sheets. Like it's like, I can't even. Target sheets are really good though. They, they are worth more than they, than they cost. Yes. And that's a good thing because my son at who's away at school does seem to mysteriously, they evaporate and I keep buying and sending him more target sheets. They come in a full set, everyone. They're great. If you have kids going to camp or school target sheets yeah. for sure. I second that. So it sounds like to put a pin in this and I want to move on to generational wealth building and because that's a big buzzy term right now, but what does it really involve? And we talk a lot about like the investments to open for your kids before we even get to the conversations you're supposed to have with your kids. Because I think it's quite frightening to hand over a five-figure, six-figure investment account to your kid when they're 25. But to put a pin on this conversation about adjusting up and when you have your financial ducks in a row, what's next? It sounds like, Bobby, that your financial planning is not over. No. It's about redefining your new financial plan, which good news is more about what you want to do to do with your money rather than what you need to do with your money. Well, exactly. Like I said, it's a shift from needs versus wants to wants versus you've already got the needs covered and understanding that it's okay to feel the um, enjoyment of some of your financial success and maybe your investing success. I mean, I remember my grandfather who taught me so much about investing and he would say, every day is a great day for investing. He says, he would say, if stocks went down, it's a great time to buy a stock that you were looking at. And if stocks went up, he's like, you can leave your money there, but don't forget, you never lose money taking profits. And it's okay to take profits in your life take a step back and enjoy what you have earned responsibly. Of course, looking at the big picture, don't be silly about things, but it's okay to do things that you enjoy. It's okay. For example, I joke, literally, we've been in this apartment for 16 years and we just now, and there's a couple minor items, like a few light fixtures. We just now have everything in the apartment 
I chose or very much proactively chose to keep. There's a few hand-me-downs that I really like that we're keeping on purpose. But when I moved in, we literally had all hand-me-down furniture and we had three kids. We had, you know, to my sympathies to everyone out there, financial sympathies to anyone out there who's, you know, locked and loaded with three kids, ready to go through all the tuition years, all the childcare years, all the doctor visit years. Like we were staring at that 16 years ago with three kids and we bought nothing for years. I mean, I got a dining room table. It is the first one I owned. It arrived like two months ago. It, we ordered it a year ago. So pandemic supply chain yeah. issues, but literally my first dining room table that I paid for came, you know, and, and I'm a Gen Xer. We're just going to say that. So it takes time, <laughs> but you know, I love my dining room table. It's glass. The chairs are suede. So that's a big thing. Cause I do have a 15 year old. So we're now covering it with towels, which is lovely. So you still get past that. But we had literally, I had until then I had chairs that were hand-me-down from my sister that came with the house she bought. Okay. Mm. With ripped so they fabric. Weren't that hers. We had, they weren't even hers. <laughs> that literally was with fabric that was ripped that we intended to recover. And then I decided, no, we're going to go for it and actually purchase actual new chairs. So mm. it's, I'm, I'm giving myself a little therapy here with you, Farnoosh, but like, I want people to know that when you do have the money, please get the stuff. It's okay. Get the stuff. Buy yourself a chair. At the same time, you, like you said, you had three small kids raising them in New York City, no less. The dining room chair would have gotten destroyed. You know, the dining room table right. would have been destroyed. You know, so no regrets. Well, that's what we you said. Were, yeah. You were able to we rather that. Yeah. put that money towards, I think what, I think is objectively more important, which was like, you know, your children investing in them, their schooling, their health. Now, this question comes from our sponsor, Prudential, Bobby, and it is this. What was a moment that propelled you to the next level of your financial life? Love this question. Okay. The moment that propelled me to the next level of my financial life has to be becoming a parent. And I know that's probably not the most original answer, but it is the most honest. And I actually became basically an instant parent of three, seemingly overnight. I went from being single to being married. Um, then we have, let's call it a honeymoon baby with my now teenager. And soon after we had him, we also got custody. My husband and I got custody of his children from his first marriage. So instantly I had three kids in the mix full time. And I'm not going to kid you, it was a lot. And as anyone knows, kids are expensive. They're amazing. They're wonderful. They're priceless and worth every penny. But the stakes change. And one of the reasons that I wrote my book, Launching Financial Grownups, yes, I'm plugging it again. But one of the reasons I wrote it is because I was inspired by my almost adult children to teach them about money because ultimately we as the parents, as the grandparents, as just anyone that cares about a young person, we are the stakeholders. So you realize that this is when things really change. When you have other people that are dependent on you, your job is to support them, but also to get them to a place where they can find their own confidence to support themselves and, you know, live their best, I don't know, financial grown-up lives. Can I say that? A little cheesy, but anyway, that's my moment. Oh, I love that answer. And it transitions us so perfectly on this topic of, of generational wealth, which I'm sure you have been uh, seeing a lot. It's very buzzy. And it's, I think our parents weren't thinking about generational wealth. They were thinking about supporting us, but this idea of like making sure your money lasts 
uh, and, and, and having a financial legacy that lives through your kids, I think is a, a grand goal. And I'm certainly, you know, hoping for that. But what are the actual steps to doing this right? Because I think we sometimes rush to the like, where do I invest for my kid? Do I open up this trust fund? Do I get this custodial account? It's like, yeah, but hold on a second. There's a little bit of groundwork that needs to be done beforehand. Well, first of all, all the things that you're saying are things that we as parents do. They're like a task list. So it goes to the whole financial literacy thing. So part of your own financial planning should be planning for your children and doing those things. And in many cases, it does make sense to work with a financial advisor. I don't think people should blindly just throw all their money into a 529 because they're restricted. So be mindful of how you save and how you invest for your children. And that's a personal decision. So we're not going to go too deep into that. But as your children get older, and my focus is really on older children, it's important to both include them in the conversation, but also take a step back and let them figure some things out and make some mistakes. So I wrote this book, as you mentioned so kindly, it's called Launching Financial Grownups. And I included some of my experiences with my father. And just like I know, I'm very excited for your book. We're going to get to hear more about your family. But he used to sit us down and he would say to us, this is when we were in college, I had two siblings, you know, tell me what you need for the semester. Very generous. I want to point that out. And very, you know, we use the word privileged, advantaged, whatever it may be. But I had to come to him with a budget for what I needed for the semester. And then he would, in theory, give me the money for the semester. So I had to do some budgeting and planning on my own. And I said to him, you know, in the process of this book, I said, well, what would have happened? And by the way, we, I never went to him to ask for more. It wasn't an option. It was not perceived. It never occurred to me that, that I could have more than what I asked for. That was one conversation. Then you have the next semester. And I said, well, what would have you have done if I had come to you and said, dad, I ran out of money or dad, I have credit card debt or dad, you know, what do I do? This things are more expensive than I expected, which did happen by the way, when I went abroad, they were more expensive than I expected. And he said, I would have done, I, he said, it didn't occur to me. He said, I never thought through that. First of all, it never occurred to him that that would happen. And he, he felt basically he wrote a check and he was done. And he said, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, you guys would have gotten jobs and figured it out. I look at that and I'm like, that's so simple. But he just kind of said, I'm giving you this amount of help and figure it out. Now, the door was always open if I wanted to talk to him. And I should have, I think, looking back. But he didn't overthink things. He really just kind of gave us the support that he thought was appropriate, was available, and then lived his life. So there's a beauty to that, having been myself an admitted helicopter parent and to some degree a concierge parent. I think that it's important for parents, though, to also not assume that their kids will have the information they need. A lot of kids take jobs and they get handed a link to their corporate benefits. Very often they're working from home. I had an HR person sit down with me and walk me through my benefits when my when I started my first hey. job at CNBC. Her name was Suzanne. I still remember. She told me, Mine was I don't have time. Exactly. I don't have time to go through the 401k, but I'm putting 6% in because that's what the company matches. Still have that money to that day. Thank you, Suzanne. That's not happening these days. So, And I write about this in Launching Financial Grownups. When my oldest got her first job at a consulting firm, she got a link. And it you know, if the kid doesn't click on the link or doesn't bother to know these things, they're, they're not opening a 401k. They're not doing those things. So it's really important that parents have proactive discussions with their young adults so that they understand what's out there. Whether it be, a, you know, if they're an entrepreneur, they need to understand that, yes, you do need to get health insurance. And by the way, 
big open secret no one notices. We noticed it because it happened to our 23-year-old. They don't roll off your health insurance till 26. They roll off the dental and eye care at 23. Oh. Yes. Yes. So things to think about and, and things to think about even with, you know, if those insurance plans are crappy anyway, let's be honest. They are. They are. But they're, but there's something. Yeah, Let me yeah. tell you again, three kids with braces. So, um, yeah, the other thing that, that we talked about before we started that I do want to get in here is that, you know, we talk so much about how to help our kids become financial grownups. And yet as a society, we tend to have this sort of, we look down on, you know, we call them the Nepo babies when it comes to Hollywood. We look down on trust fund kids. But at the end of the day, don't you want your kid to be a trust fund kid? Don't you want your kid to have money to manage, to have as a backstop, to have as a safety net? Because not, if you teach them well, first of all, they're not going out and having that midlife spending splurge that we talked about. But also when you know you have money in the bank, when you know you have that backstop, when you know your parents will be there for you, if you need, but you never want to ask, you will have the courage to take career risks in your life and to take investment risks in your life that are amazing and wonderful and have huge opportunities when you're younger. I don't think I would have had the courage to become a broadcast journalist if I didn't know that my parents had my back. Another thing for parents to think about, because I've witnessed this in my own life where, okay, your dad, he kind of like gave you the ground, he gave you the money, but then he went, as you said, lived his own life. But there are some parents that will give you the money and then there's a feeling of entitlement. Some kids wouldn't have felt comfortable becoming the broadcast journalist. They felt like my parents invested so much in me, they've saved and saved and given me so much that I need to do what they want. This might sound crazy to some people hearing this, but I have seen this with my own eyes, Bobby, where kids feel beholden to pursuing what their parents expect of them, going to medical school, going to law school, doing the quote unquote safer career, career track, not being creative, not taking chances because they, there's a control that comes with the money. And so how do you let go as a parent? So this is the heart of my book. It's you have to listen to your kids and you have to pull back your expectations and you have to, because it's going to backfire. You know, the kid that you say has to go to medical school is going to end up being, you know, a firefighter or whatever it is. You know, the kid that you say has to with be a lawyer debt, is going to end up way, with a lot of debt, with debt problem, with, right? with debt. Oh, I mean, half the student loan, not literally half, but a lot of the student loan crisis is people that don't finish their degrees because they got into something because society says they should do that. I mean, we could do a whole episode on our feelings about college. I mean, you're heading in there. I have one left to go, two done. Um, let me tell you. <laughs> don't rush me. Let me tell you. I, I have publicly said everyone can look up the tuition for NYU. I mean, <sighs> we have paid and you know we we did that because we love our kids and we want them to to succeed in in what they want to do but it's really important to have these conversations and say if you're choosing this profession how does that look financially you tell me and i one more note about my dear dad who's amazing wanted me to work on wall street still wants me to work on wall street <laughs> But he he made a compromise. The reason I went to business news was because that's where the money was. Yeah, yeah same. There was a lot more money mm -hmm. and that was the deal we made. And he never said, oh, I paid for college. You have to do this. I really respect that because as a parent now, I can see that that was probably really hard. When you pay for, you know, I went to a, a private college, very expensive, went to private high school, a lot of money invested, but I went into journalism, not the most lucrative career. And that must have been really hard. So you have to let your kids live their own life, but then let them live within what they earn. And that's the key thing. Step back. 
do not subsidize. If you want to subsidize for a short period of time to get them going, that's fine. You can subsidize their rent, but have an off-ramp. I talk about all of this in the book. You have to have the guardrails up and not be a permanent subsidy because they have to live within the life that they choose. The lifestyle has to match the life. Mm -hmm. And many parents go in, I call them concierge parents. They're there at any time through technology to solve your problems, usually with money. And you don't want to do that for your kid because what you do ultimately is you rob them of the confidence that they can do it on their own. And it's really undermining to children to tell them you don't have the confidence in them that they can do it. So if you love your kids, give them space to, to live their life. Yeah. Well, and to take yeah. a page out of my mother's uh, personal finance guidebook for parents, uh, <laughs> you could put the fear of God in your children. Uh, my parents were very much there for me. I mean, they've supported me every step of the way. They paid for my undergraduate degree. They helped me um, afford my life in New York when I was in grad school. They wanted me to take out some debt for that, though. That was mine. They, they felt like having skin in the game was important. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll never forget my mother in college turned to me at one point during a visit and said that they will not be there to help me in a bailout. <laughs> she had caught wind of, yeah. a, of, a, of, a, of her nephew who had gotten into a ton of credit card debt. Her sister, his mother paid it all off. My mother was mortified by this. And mm -hmm. it, for her, it, like a light bulb went off. She turned to me and was like, just in case you are secretly racking up credit card debt, we will not be here for you in the event that you need a bailout. And I was a few thousand dollars in the hole, to be quite honest. And I was frightened. And I said to myself, okay, got it, got it. And I did get myself out of that hole. Um, my parents didn't make it easy. And I think that was a good thing. They were there to a point. After that, there's an expectation, a good, healthy expectation that you're going to be able to take it from here. And if you mess up, consider it an early lesson in how to manage your money well. And, and those lessons have to happen if they don't. Better they happen in your early 20s than, you know, in your 50s. Yeah. And look, as parents, what you don't want to do is tell your kids you will never be there for them because then they will hide it from you. If you tell them never to come to you for help in a really, really tough way, you run the risk of them hiding things. So yeah. strike that balance. Let them know you're going to help them find your way out of it. You might not write them a check though. I mean, that's what we did. Look, we've done that with, with our middle child who wanted to finance a film. We didn't write him a check. We, we sat there and figured out how he was going to finance it. And he came up with a plan yeah. to raise money for his film rather than just writing him the check, which we could have done. But I think it was much better for him because he came in and he didn't raise as much money as he thought he needed. And you know what he did? He adjusted his budget. Ah, And there you go. And the movie's great. That's um, a great thing to end on, Bobby, which is just that kids are sometimes way more resilient, resourceful, and capable than as parents we give them credit for. This starts as young as I think their tween years when the kids come to you um, curious about money or wanting a job or curious about how you run your business, your uh, what do you make, how do you budget, to engage them because this is who they may be at, at the core as somebody who is financially curious. And if you can just support that and nourish that, I mean, that's, that goes a very long way in making sure that they then become a good financial grown-up. Yes. A good financial grown-up with lots of curiosity, as you say. I like that. I'm going to use that. Curiosity. It was curiosity. first episode on So Money. Yes. It was Tony Robbins who said that, I think he said like, why he's so money? Or, you know, I used to ask my guests, why are you so money? And he goes, because I stay curious. I don't assume I know everything. I like that. Bobby, thank you so much. Oh, 
my friend, for coming back and always delivering uh, just gems for our audience. Your book is Launching Financial Grownups, your new consultancy. Tell us again about that and where we can find out more. So my consulting and education firm is Financial Wellness Strategies. You can find it at financialwellnessstrategies.com. We do educational resources, workshops, webinars, and so on for employee groups. So if you are in HR or you put together employee events, hit me up. I would love to help you. We also do consulting um, with family offices and wealth management firms to help people communicate better about generational wealth. Basically, the whole idea is to go beyond financial literacy and into financial wellness and invest in peace of mind which no coincidence is my little tagline. Yeah, I love Invest it. Best of peace of mind, my friend. And thank you for having me. And I can't wait to talk about your next book, by the way. I love that it's a personal book, Varnish. Yeah, it's very You are a brave woman. I don't know if I've expressed that enough, but it's deeply, deeply personal. I really go there. I, I you know, it started as more of a memoir, lots of stories, but me being me, I was like, I need to have takeaways because otherwise like, you yeah. know, my life is interesting, but it's not, you know, it's not what we're used to in memoirs, which is like, I got over some sort of, you know, death defying event and have found myself in the, uh, <laughs> in the tropics alone, no, backpacking, you know, like that's oh. not what happens. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Although that's sort of manufactured. I think I I, you're, you're referencing that eat, pray, love. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like there's a story behind the story on that. Like she was actually like, did it to write the book, really? but maybe I'm wrong. I did love the book, but your book is not going to be eat, pray, love, no. but I just, I love your comedy routines for those of you. I'm sure everybody knows that you do amazing comedy. So and around the house, mostly these mom. days, no, but you've done, you've done some stage shows. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know. just, I know your, 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 your voice will be through this book and I can't wait to read it. Thank you. And, um, you're a brave woman to put yourself you. out there like that. And I love everything you do and have me on any time. And I hope you'll come back. Well, on it was great to be on your podcast, show here, Bobby. Wellness for Thanks financial for having me. <laughs> yeah. Come on wellness for financial grownups. All right. I'll see you next Big time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks so much to Bobby for joining us. Again, her book is called Launching Financial Grownups. We'll put all those links in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>